Homeschoolers work very hard to raise their children to a virtuous, faith-filled adulthood, to be lights on a lampstand and witnesses to the saving love of Jesus Christ. But how do we arm them to respond to tough questions about why their Catholicism is essential to their relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm so excited today to welcome John Martignoni to talk about uh, blue-collar apologetics, a simple, common-sense approach. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Before we get started, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, click the bell to join our channel. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host. Today, it's my joy to welcome John Martignoni here to talk about blue-collar apologetics, a simple, common-sense approach. John Martignoni is the founder and president of the Bible Christian Society, an apologetics and evangelization apostolate that reaches hundreds of thousands of people each year across the United States and throughout the world with the truths of the Catholic faith. For 17 years, he hosted EWTN Radio's Open Line which was heard on hundreds of stations around the country, and he has founded and run Catholic radio stations in Alabama. John has a regular e-newsletter, Apologetics for the Masses, that has more than 40,000 subscribers in all 50 states and in more than 80 countries around the world. Blue Collar Apologetics is now a book, and so the subtitle on that is How to Explain and Defend Catholic teaching using common sense, simple logic, and the Bible, and it's coming from EWTN Publishing and Sophia Press. He's currently the Director of Evangelization for the Diocese of Birmingham in Alabama, and according to Scott Hahn, John is one of the most effective pro-life evangelistic Catholic apologists in the world. (laughs) That's an awesome mouthful. Find John Martignoni at BibleChristianSociety.com. That link is in the show notes, and do visit the site. It's got so much free stuff there, videos, written materials, and you can subscribe to his e-newsletter, also free, Apologetics for the Masses, so don't miss that. Welcome to the program, John. Lisa, good to be here with you. And, And just so you know, when I saw that quote on Scott Hahn's Facebook page, I said, that's gold. I have to take that and I have to use it everywhere. <laughs> you would have to be nuts not to. That and is I know, awesome. I know. Like, oh my gosh. So I immediately <laughs> sent him a, a text saying, thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's uh, great. It's great. It's so beautiful, too, that this family of God were out there, you know, kind of tilling the same field. And every once in a while, we get to meet amazing people. Now I get to meet you. So, yay. Yay kind. for me. <laughs> Tell kind. us a little bit about your background, John. Like, what brought you to this moment of of uh, running all these initiatives and, and being out there teaching people how to really defend the Catholic faith? Well, I grew up in Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, and was born and raised Catholic. But I was growing up in the 60s and 70s and after Vatican II, Catholic catechesis in the schools and in the, the uh, what were then the, the art, well, not RCIA, but now they're called PSR programs. We called them CCD programs at the time um, for the public school kids. They were just falling apart. They, they were a mess. And so I never really learned my faith growing up. And so I tell people when I stepped onto the campus at the University of Alabama, 
I just stepped right out of the church. And it was, you know, I, I lived what I call a thoroughly heathen life for the next 13 years. Got my degree in finance and MBA, went to work in the for a defense contractor in Huntsville. And I was, by the world standards, I was a success, a huge success. I, I was, you know, bought a car, my first car, it was a Corvette. So I'm, I'm single, I'm earning all this money. I've got my own house, my car. Uh, you know, for me, the weekends basically started uh, Wednesday night at happy hour, essentially. You know, I'm partying and just having fun and all this good stuff by the uh, world standards. But there was a hole inside of me. And I, I couldn't put my finger on what what the problem was, but I just felt this deep, dark, black hole inside of me. So and, and I'm thinking, I should be happy. I've got everything the world tells me I need to be happy, but I wasn't. So I thought, well, I'll go back to school and, and you know get out of this rat race, which was the defense industry, and I'll get a PhD in finance and I'll teach finance at a university. You know, and I thought, well. Being a professor at a university, that'll be a pretty cush life. I can play golf as much as I want, you know, teach class, three classes, maybe in a week. Or so. so I go back and my first day on campus, which was a week before classes started, I, I was I had a graduate assistantship. So I was going to be teaching classes to the undergraduates in finance. And they assigned me this office just at random. And in the office was a bookshelf. And on this bookshelf were all these finance and statistics and economics books. And I was going through them one at a time, just saying, you know, maybe one of these will help me in one of my upcoming classes. And on the bottom two shelves, which were blocked by my desk, I, I pushed the desk out and there was one book, one book covered with a layer of dust like this thick. So it had been there for years. And it was called The Normal Christian Life by a, a Chinese Methodist preacher named Watchman Nee. Uh, this is unusual. So I picked it up, went home and read it that night. It was a thin book. The whole book was on the letter of Paul to the Romans. And it interested me. So I went back the next day to the student bookstore to just, you know, see if there's more books like this out there. And I go into the Christian section and not knowing anything about Christian books or what I was looking for, my eye caught this title, some guy named C.S. Lewis, and, and, and the book was called Mere Christianity. Oh, my goodness. Christian apologetics. So I picked it up and I read it. I was hooked. So the next few weeks, I read several more C.S. Lewis books, and then I kind of was getting tired of him. So I said, well, I'll go get something else. So I, again not having any idea what I'm looking for, not looking for anything specific. I go in and my eye catches this title called The Confessions, some guy named St. Augustine. And so I read that and I was blown away. And then in this bookstore, this campus bookstore, they had books from St. Francis de Sales. They had Fulton Sheen books. It was amazing thinking back on it. I mean, at the time I knew no difference. But thinking back on it, I thought, I've never seen, uh, you know, some Catholic bookstores that don't have these books that are in this college campus bookstore. Anyway, so I'm reading all these books. And at the end of the year, I ended up dropping out of the Ph.D. program, but I came back into the church. So leaving campus this time, I came back into the church. 
but I was still what you would call a, a um, cafeteria Catholic. I didn't know what my faith really taught, didn't know why, you know, why should I listen to this old guy in Rome? Who is he to tell me how to live my life? You know, all this stuff. So I, I ended up, wound up back in Alabama in Birmingham working for a bank. And at the bank, all these people ask me questions. Well, why do Catholics do this? Why do Catholics do that? Because in Alabama, we're only three to four percent Catholic. So we're surrounded by Baptist, Evangelical, Church of Christ, etc. So they're all asking me, well, why do Catholics do this? Why? I said, what are you asking me for? And they're like, well, John, you may not have noticed, but you're Catholic. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. So I went down to the bookstore. There was a Catholic bookstore in town. And this was before the catechism had come out. It was probably 91 or 92. And I asked the woman there, I said, do you have a book that will tell me why Catholics believe what we believe? Is there? And she said, huh, I don't know. So she took 20 minutes, walked up and down every aisle of the bookstore and came back, looked at me, said, no, we don't have a book like that. I'm like, okay. She said, but I've heard this tape is pretty good. She hands me a cassette tape. Well, I'm the son of a guy who had, had a PhD in chemistry. And when I was six years old, I remember asking my dad a question. And he pointed at this row of books on the shelves. He said, son, you see those books there? And I said, yes, sir. He said, that's the World Book Encyclo Encyclopedia. Look it up. So I had been a researcher from age six. Wow. So I wanted a book. I wanted to tear apart a book. You know, don't give me a cassette tape. So I just, but it was an older woman. I just said, well, thank you very much, ma'am. And I went out and I was really disappointed. But I get in my car, I put the tape and I said, well, I might as well listen to it. Well, it was Scott Hahn's conversion story. Wow. And that was like pouring gasoline on smoldering embers. Here's a former Protestant minister who became Catholic because of the Bible, for crying out loud. And so I just started eating up all of Scott Hahn's materials. I mean, I was I, the first time I ever met him at EWTN, I, I told him, I said, I don't know how many rooms you have in your house, but I've paid for at least one of them because you know, <laughs> I bought so much of his stuff. And uh, then I started reading stuff, you know, Catholic Answers was getting big at the time and Carl Keating stuff and all these guys. Every time I was in the car, I had a tape in. I was listening. I was learning my faith through, an ap and through apologetics. And one thing led to another. I ended up leaving banking and getting into the nonprofit world, working as a business manager for a Salesian outfit, working with the poor. And then uh, I got into... Uh, this situation, and this is where I really got me to where I am today, is I heard a really anti-Catholic program on the local evangelical radio station. Well, I called to complain. You know, the, the, the one quote that I will never forget was they said, the end time religious political system that the Antichrist will use to take over the world is the Catholic Church. And I was like, oh boy, that's a little bit uh, too much. So so I called the radio station, complain. I said, you need to let a Catholic come on to respond to that. And I wasn't talking about this Catholic. <laughs> but as it worked out, I ended up going on there. They had an afternoon live show uh, probably a couple months later. And just talking about the Catholic Church and the Bible. And it just caused all sorts of craziness to happen uh, <laughs> in this 
Catholic guy called me. He was very well off his family. And he said, John, I will pay for the airtime if you will put a show like that on the radio station. And I said, I told him, no, I said, no. And I said, I, I don't know my faith well enough because, you know, I was even though I was just deep into apologetics, I was still learning my faith and I had never practically applied it anywhere. And, and I'd never done radio other than this one instance on this evangelical station. So I told him, no. He said, well, just pray about it. I said, no. I said, it's so crazy. I'm not even going to pray about it. If God wants this to happen, he's going to have to make it happen. Well, over the next six months, some really weird things happened. And I wound up sitting in the office of the sales manager for the largest evangelical radio station in the state of Alabama, signing a one-year contract to do a live show every Sunday evening on Catholic apologetics on the largest evangelical radio station in the state. Oh, my goodness. And I remember walking out of that office and getting in my car and going, what have I done? <laughs> and, I, and I remember I, I grabbed the wheel, the steering wheel. I said, God, you better not leave me now. And, uh, <laughs> and he didn't. And that just kind of launched my um, public apologetics career. Uh, Catholics would call the show. Protestants would call the show. Then Catholics would start calling me and say, can you come talk to our, our meeting of, you know, the Knights of Columbus or the Sarah Club or whatever. Eventually, I did four talks at a parish that I had asked a friend of mine at EWTN Radio to record. Just I said, in case somebody might want these talks, they were my first four public talks at a, at a big setting. And uh, he recorded them. And a few weeks later, he called me and said, do you mind if I put these on the radio? I said, no, go ahead. You know, I just, I thought EWTN at that time, this is late 1999. I thought it was just a uh, shortwave that went everywhere else in the world, but nobody in the U.S. really listened to it. You know, they watched TV, but they didn't listen to EWTN shortwave. I didn't know EWTN had AM and FM affiliates, and they had maybe a dozen or so at the time. Well, a few months later, he aired the talks, and I started getting calls from all over the country. People want me to come talk to their parish and, and can they get copies of that talk? And so a tape ministry was born and, and an apologetics ministry or apostolate. And um, one thing led to another. And I ended up full time for several years just doing apologetics. I'm with my little nonprofit I formed called the Bible Christian Society. And so I did that for a while. And then about 12 years ago, the Bishop of Birmingham called me. And he said, uh, John, I want you to come down and work for me and be my director of evangelization. And so I've been doing the Bible Christian Society, still giving the talks and traveling around the country, uh, conferences, parishes, doing that. And then EWTN had called and wanted me to do their open line program, which I did for 17 years. And then now I'm doing evangelization for the diocese. So that's how I got to where I am. It's just nothing I planned so I know it's not my doing at all. Oh, yeah. I, I love the way uh, God just 
I don't know. It's hard to explain. I think of it as the shiny object thing, like you had a question or you discovered that book with the dust all over it and you read yes. it and then you had another question. And, and it's like there was another shiny object and another one, even though you didn't know where it was leading you. And, and he was just capturing your heart more and more. I love how mysterious and, and surprising our walk with God can be. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, it took me places I'll tell you one, it took me places I never thought I would go. You know, when I was young, growing up and going through college and finance, my goal was I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30 years old. That was it. And after 30, I'll worry about it, you know, once I get my first million. And but there were times during that year in the PhD program when I was reading more spiritual stuff and things on religion than I was finance and economics, which is probably one of the reasons I didn't last too long in the program. But there was one time where I, I was in, there were three other first year finance uh, students. One was a Chinese guy from Malaysia. Another was an Indian guy who was Muslim. And the Chinese guy was basically atheist. An Indian Muslim from Singapore. And then another Anglo like me. Well, I got to be real good friends with the Chinese guy and the Indian guy. And uh, they were asking me one time, isn't there something about, you know, in the Bible, beating your your swords into plowshare or something like that about putting down all your. I said, yeah, I, I kind of remember that, you know, because at least when I was going to church as a kid out of boredom, I would read the missalette, you know, just to keep me busy. So I was reading the scriptures and things stuck in my head that I didn't know were there. So I go back to my house, my apartment that afternoon, and I remember, you know, thinking, you know, looking all through places in the old, I must have spent an hour. I couldn't find this verse. And we didn't have Google or anything like that. You could just look it up. So I said, God, if this verse is in there, let me find it. And I closed the Bible held up, and just dropped it on its spine on the floor. It opened right up. I picked it up and not only had it open to the page with that verse, but when I looked at the page, that was the verse I looked at. And I and I just I went, Whoa. oh, my goodness. You know? and, and, and it was just so things like that happened that entire year. And that's what, like I said, that's what led me back to the church. Um, and yeah, but it's just. One thing after another, one surprise after another, one turn in a direction I never thought I was going after another, and God got me here where I am today. Wow. I just, uh, listening to your drive and your energy and everything that God harnessed and ordered back toward himself, I think about all the people in the world chasing and, and striving so hard and ending up in the wrong places. Um, but I don't want to neglect to have you just tell us um, your apologetics, the way you approach it. You call it blue-collar apologetics. So just step us into, like, how, how, what does that mean to you? Well, what it means to me is, the way I do apologetics, I do it in a way that anybody can do what I do. You know, I, like I said, I, I listen to Scott Hunt. I mean, I cut my teeth in apologetics and Bible study with Scott Hunt, but I can't do what he does. You know, I can't repeat what he says even. You know, I, I remember when I would listen to it on cassette tape at the time, 
I would tell people, I said, I, I listen for two or three minutes and then I rewind. You know, I have to listen again. And then I re I have to rewind every section two or three times to, oh, okay, I, I get, it's sinking in now. And it was awesome stuff. But I couldn't repeat it the way he put it out there. So I had to come up with a way that I could understand it, that it would stick with me. But then I could also turn around and give it to others because I'm still getting questions from all these evangelicals and Baptists. Where in the Bible is this? Where in the Bible is infant baptism? Where in the Bible is the Immaculate Conception? Where in the Bible is this? Where in the Bible is it? So I had to put it out to them in ways that they could understand it. So I just started coming up with simple, common sense, logical ways. You know, I told you I was a researcher from the age of six because of my dad. Logic is very important in my life. And so I had to make everything that, okay, from you go from step A to step B. You can't go from A to C or A to D or A to E. You have to go A, B, C, D. That's how I line up all of my arguments that I make, all of my, um, you know, all of the questions that I ask others. And it, they're all based in logic and common sense. And everybody, with very rare exception, has at least some common sense. Okay? <laughs> uh, and, but so I have had moms tell me that their nine-year-olds were using my materials. They were listening to my talks. And they were repeating what I did on those talks to their nine-year-old friends. Oh, I love you know? it. And, and, but I also have people like, for example, in the last couple of months, a guy who's a, uh, uh, he's a chemistry professor at a university in the state of Washington. He's come across my stuff. He's going, I've never seen stuff like this. This is amazing. So I tell people, children can use this stuff, but it is not childish. It's for everybody sitting out there in the pews. I've had priests tell me they love this. I've had bishops say, oh, wow, this is this is good. And they've ordered my stuff for other people. So it's it's just across the board for, you know, nine to one hundred and nine, whether you have a Ph.D., a high school degree, whether you're in middle school, whether you're rich, poor, male, female. It doesn't matter. You can understand my stuff and not just understand it, but you can use it and repeat it to evangelize others. Mm, and, I, and I love to, and I'd love for you to give us one or two examples of taking something complex and not reducing it, but, but pulling out the important pieces that, that get us to understanding quickly and, um, and sort of uh, give us an idea how to use your your book yeah. and your your DVDs sure. I know you have. What's one of the most complex mysteries of the Catholic faith? It's the Eucharist, right? Transubstantiation. You know, you tell you talk to people about transubstantiation and their eyes are going to glaze over. You know, who can understand transubstantiation? You can get your arms part way around it, but no one can get their arms all the way around it. So if you're as a Catholic and you're talking about the Eucharist and you've got, a, a, you know, an evangelical or someone saying, oh, no, it's all symbolic. It's just symbolic. And all they go by is the Bible. Right. They don't care what the Pope says, what Vatican II said, what the catechisms. They just want to know where it is in the Bible. So I say, OK, let's go to John, you know, John six. Catholics, will say, you know, Jesus says over and over, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. 
he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So the Catholic says, see, right there, the process, uh, he's just talking symbolically. Well, how do I, how do I get around that objection? Well, this is how, instead of going to verses 53 through 58, I tell people, I tell Catholic, go back to verse 51, John 6, 51. It says, I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. So I tell the Catholic, ask your Protestant friend. You know, Jesus says the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Ask your Protestant friend, when did Jesus give his flesh for the life of the world? What do you think they always answer? The when crucifixion? On the crucifix, right, on the cross, the crucifixion. So then I say, well, here's your follow-up question, because every time I've asked that of a Protestant, 100% of the time, they say, on the cross, Jesus gave us his flesh for the life of the world. So then I say, well, was the flesh on the cross real, or was it symbolic? And they all just, all of a sudden, you get a look of almost terror, because they realize, oh, I've just stepped into a theological, a sticky wicket, theologically speaking. <laughs> Because I'm claiming Jesus is speaking symbolically, but John here, or the Catholic here, just made it very clear that he's talking about the flesh that he gave for the life of the world, which was on the cross. And if I say his flesh on the cross was symbolic, well, then he didn't really die on the cross for my sins. But if I say it's real, well, now I have to face it. He's talking about his real flesh that we have to eat and his real blood that we have to drink. So the, the blue collar part of that is I didn't have to understand transubstantiation. I didn't have to do any fancy footwork, theologically speaking. You know, all I had to do was know how to ask two questions. And they're common sense questions, you know. The bread I want you to eat is the flesh I'll give for the life of the world. When did he give the flesh for the life of the world? On the cross. Was that real or symbolic? Real. Okay, Mr. Prosit, now you tell me it's symbolic. You can't. <laughs> so that's, that's when you'll get someone. Who, I, I'll usually get a response uh, like, uh, well, so why do you worship Mary? <laughs> no, right. no, 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 we're not going there. We're, we're not, not done with what the first question. We're going to stay here first. <laughs> So that's how easy it is because everybody listening to this, everybody from probably age nine on can understand that logic and that commonsensical approach. And so that's what I do in my book. I give people these, these logical approaches, these logical common sense lines of argument. And I do use the Bible, which as you read my book, you're going to learn the Bible more but you're not going to learn it in the way that a uh, you know someone studying for a the theology degree is going to learn it. You know they're going to learn about oh well this was going on and you have to understand this and yet they're like no because as a Catholic when I'm talking to a Protestant the places where Protestant theology and Catholic theology differ the Protestant theology is is this thin it's razor. Then I don't have to be a scripture scholar to evangelize people. I just don't. And, and I'm not. Like I said, I don't have a degree in theology. In fact, I tell people lots of times, 
a degree in theology can mess you up as an apologist because all of a sudden you start using words like transubstantiation and and uh, you know what what else the uh, homoousius and you know Greek terms and all. you don't need that stuff to be an effective apologist for the Catholic faith. Mm, I love it. I love it. So um, I want to segue into uh, how we can use this in our homeschools, talk about your courses. Um, I know you've done work for Homeschool Connections, so so let's just let everybody know who's listening how they can start to harness all this stuff, because it sounds not only fascinating, but really fun. Well, one thing, I have done one course. I hope eventually to do more. I'm just so busy, but I've done one course, and it was called Blue Collar Apologetics, and I think it's in your, your catalog for Homeschool Connections, and it was for high school kids. And, uh, and, and the kids, I love teaching, absolutely love teaching. And the kids responded so well. They, they were just soaking it up. And in fact, we ran out of time to do all that I wanted to do in, in the course uh, syllabus. And they asked their, their parents to ask the Homeschool Connections if they could convince me to do an extra class that was not required, you know, and, but they wanted it. And That's I said, amazing. if they want it, I'll do it. Um, and so what I tell people, I say apologetics should be a part of any of the overall Catholic curriculum of any and every school, Catholic school. And, and whether it's a Catholic school or the Catholic PSR programs in the parishes, they ought to be starting apologetics in first grade. There's little things you can do, like getting kids to memorize a verse, say, from uh, Matthew 16. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Okay, you memorize that verse, and a couple years later, well, now let's start talking about the papacy. And let's connect it with the word of God, the Bible. Remember that? Well, what did Matthew 16, 18 say? Matthew 16, 19. And the kids say, oh, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Oh, Peter. The Pope, oh, they can start connecting when they get to sixth grade, seventh grade, and then on into high school. So you should start doing apologetics first grade on. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to have an apologetics course, but it ought to be at least you ought to weave it into whatever kind of theology courses that you're giving the kids or or whatever Bible study courses you're doing, you ought to have some aspect of apologetics. And what it does for the kids, I tell me, I said, you know, there's studies out there that show we are losing 85% of our youth and young adults are leaving the faith, 85% of them within seven years of confirmation. Seven years of we're in other words, by the end of college, we've lost 85% of our kids. Well, a lot of them, at least here in the South, and I know in other parts of the country as well, where there are a lot of Protestants, a lot of those kids are going over to the Protestant churches because they have people coming up to them saying, hey, you know, right here in John 6 verse or, or uh, Mark 6 verse 3, it says Jesus had brothers and sisters. But Catholic church teaches you that Mary was a perpetual virgin. So your church is going against the word of God. And if the kid doesn't know how to respond to that, well, 
the, the fact that he doesn't have a response, he kind of starts thinking, well, maybe the church is teaching me something against the word of God. And that's the first step towards the door out of the church. Or, you know, call no man father. It says right here in Matthew 23, call no man on earth your father. But what do you Catholics call your priest? And the Catholic kid goes, father. Yeah. Well, the Bible says you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know? And so now they've got a, 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 a hermeneutic. I'll use a big word. Hermeneutic of doubt in their head. Well, heading out to the door, head out of, out of the church. But if we teach them apologetics and that you're going to be getting these questions and here's how you respond to these questions and then flip it so that you can ask your own questions of the other guy or gal that they won't be able to respond to. Instead of them planting seeds of doubt with you, you're going to be planting seeds of truth with them. So you're immunizing your kids from these kinds of attacks that they're going to get in college. Period. Even if they go to a Catholic college, they're going to get these questions from from Baptists, from you know evangelicals, from atheists, from uh, rationalists, from materialists, and so they're gonna get these questions sooner or later in their life. And if they're not prepared to answer them, you could very well lose your child to the to to some other faith or to no faith at all. Mm. Okay, so um, I, I love it. I'm so uh, it's so inspiring your zeal and and the apparent simplicity of this, right? So we definitely want to get your book, um, and I'm just going to read that title again, but it'll be in the show notes. And that is Blue Collar Apologetics: How to Explain and Defend Catholic Teaching Using Common Sense, Simple Logic, and the Bible. And so. We parents listening are thinking, okay, so where do I begin? Do, do you suggest that the parents just read your book first, or do you have other resources that will help us to kind of figure out how to disseminate this out to our kids? I would say read the book first, because in the book, the first two chapters are the basis of the book, and they give you rules of engagement for when you go out and, and start evangelizing, or when someone comes to you and tries to evangelize you. And they give you four simple strategies for doing apologetics. One is the ignorant Catholic strategy. All that is, is I don't know when you're asked a question that you don't know the answer to. You just say, I don't know. But you always follow, I don't know, with, but I will find out and get back to you. Then there's how to be offensive without being offensive, which is simply learning how to ask questions like I did with John 6.51. The third strategy is, but it's the principle of the thing. And in that, it's a that requires a little more Bible knowledge, but nothing anyone listening cannot handle. And it's something that I walk you right through. It's basically pulling principles, Catholic principles, out of the Bible. For example, the word purgatory is nowhere mentioned in the Bible. But the teachings of purgatory are in the Bible. You just have to know where to look and pull those principles out. And the fourth strategy is, but that's my interpretation. By Protestant theology, this is the key. By their theology, we as Catholics have the right to pick up this book and read it for ourselves and decide for ourselves what is good doctrine and what is bad doctrine. We can interpret it for ourselves. That's their theology. So if someone comes in and you're talking, you're saying, again, John 6, that's talking about the Eucharist and say, no, that's a bad interpretation. You say, wait a minute. 
Don't you believe everyone who who can pick up and read the Bible can read it for themselves and determine for themselves what it means? And they'll say, yes. Then you say, well, that's my interpretation. So they can't tell you you're wrong. They can tell you they disagree with your interpretation, but they can't tell you you're wrong to have your interpretation. Mm-hmm. And then, But then the Catholic theology says it's your, you know, Mr. Baptist, evangelical, whatever. It's your private, fallible interpretation of scripture versus the teaching of the the infallible teaching of the church founded by Jesus Christ and guided by the Holy Spirit. That's what you get in the fourth strategy. So you, you learn these strategies and I, at the end of each chapter, and I've got a chapter on each topic that I go over, you know, the, the Pope, Mary, the Bible alone, all these things at the end of each chapter, I have these four strategies laid out and questions that you will get from Protestants and how using each of those four strategies, you can respond to those questions. So nice. it's just all laid out right there for you to get you going, get you way down the path towards becoming a, an, just an ace defender of the Catholic Church. Wonderful. And I'm, I'm just imagining as moms and dads read through the different strategies, some different children will come to mind with yes. different approaches like, oh, I just know you know, Sally's going to love this one based on principles. And I know Johnny's going to love this one, you know, based on, you know, this other part. Right. Um, Yeah. That's the beauty of it. You can take these strategies and these rules of engagement and adapt them to your own personalities, to your own particular situations. And you can use, well, I'll use strategy one and three here. Well, I'll use strategy two here. However, it's, there's not a one size fits all. Again, it's based on simple logic and common sense and then when you throw in the bible you you catholics can just absolutely blow away any arguments against their faith that they're getting from their protestant co-workers or their fundamentalist brother-in-law or whoever and it just so start with this book and then you know there's plenty of other resources out there they can get into All right. And I just want to let everyone listening know that at Homeschool Connections, anytime a course has been taught, it's been recorded. So that means that John's course, Blue Collar Apologetics, is in our unlimited access program. So you'll find it in the catalog under that section. So definitely take a look at that, avail yourself of it, and also uh, make sure to get his book. And we'll have that ordering link and his his website, like BibleChristianSociety.com as well there for you. Uh, Take us out with any final Final thoughts on this for our parents listening. Well, what I say to parents is at, at the very least, make sure your children are immunized against the attacks they're going to get. Maybe you maybe you don't feel comfortable with all this apologetic stuff, and it, but at least get to the point where you make simple little observations to your kids that make them realize that it's the Catholic faith or it's nothing. And I'll give you one example. With my kids, when they were nine or 10 years old, I would ask them a question. (coughs) Excuse me. I would say, how long ago did Jesus live? And, you know, they might have to think about it, but I'd give them a little help and they'd end up, okay, 2000 years ago, you know, we're in, 2021 now, and it's based on how long since Jesus was born. Okay, 2000 years ago. 
then I'll ask them, did Jesus start a church? And at nine or 10, they don't really know. And so I'll go to Matthew 16 and I'll read, you know, thou art Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. See, Jesus started a church. So they'll, they'll agree. Okay, Jesus started a church. Then I'll say, then I'll bring those two things together. I say, well, if Jesus lived 2000 years ago and he started a church, how old should the church Jesus started be? And that's when they look at me, my nine-year-old or 10-year-old, and they say, is this a trick question? (laughs) I'll go 2,000 years? I say, yes. And so uh, my daughter, it it wasn't but a couple months after I'd done that with her when she was 10 years old. We we used to get this is probably 10, 11 years ago when we were still getting a, a newspaper subscription, still had one. Newspaper comes, a Saturday newspaper in Birmingham had a religion section. Well, the cover story of the religion section was this church here in Birmingham, the Church of the Highlands, which is now, after 20 years, the largest evangelical church in the country, right here in Birmingham. Well, at its 10-year anniversary, they had this big story how they had gone from nothing to 35,000 people in 10 years. And I asked my daughter, I said, read this story and tell me if that's the church Jesus founded. She read one paragraph. She said, no. I said, well, you only read one paragraph. She goes, that's all I need. I said, well, how do you know? She goes, it was started 10 years ago. Boom. She has been immunized against any arguments from anybody from that church. You know, and you can do the same with the Baptist church, the Lutheran church, Anglican church, and all its spinoffs. In it. So I say to parents, at least immunize your children against the attacks And once you do that, I think you'll find how easy it is. You'll want to go further and teach them how to not just be immunized, but how how to go on the offensive instead of just always be on the defensive and become apologists and evangelists for the Catholic Church. And you parents will probably start enjoying faith discussions with others that maybe you avoided in the past. Trust me on this. You're going to enjoy it. Yeah, and I think our kids will pick up on that, too. They'll see our enjoyment. They'll see our confidence, our ability to be a little more magnanimous because we're not afraid. We right. have some simple ideas so we can actually show up in a, a more peaceful, confident state of mind. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and that in itself is a beautiful witness. John, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I'm excited. I've enjoyed it, Lisa, very much. I appreciate you having me on your program. Oh, I would love to have you back again. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And do get John's book, Blue Collar Apologetics, How to Explain and Defend Catholic Teaching Using Common Sense, Simple Logic, and the Bible. And again, that's uh, John Martignoni, and the book is coming from EWTN and Sophia Press. Also, check out BibleChristianSociety.com for lots more free resources on his e-newsletter. All free, Apologetics for the Masses. All right, everybody, stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Hi. 
Hi, my name is Chantal Howard. Welcome to another episode of From Ideal to Real. In this final episode, we will continue the pursuit of bringing those lofty, beautiful, holy, holy dreams down into reality within the context of our homeschooling environment. We've thought and reflected on a lot of different themes this year. In particular, I think the overarching theme is that the power of our thinking and the power of our prayer impact the quality of our life because our thoughts do in fact become reality. We draw inspiration from this by God, from God himself, who, who literally thought us into existence and spoke us into existence. We think of his power to create the immaculate conception, the perfect thought made flesh. And of course the word made flesh in Jesus Christ, our savior in harmony with the Lord's gifts to us of our intellect and our capacity to think we can create peace and we can create effective homeschooling. We can create our dreams. We do this, of course, not apart from him, but in union with him. And at the heart of that is the is prayer. So as we conclude today, I really wanted to extend an invitation to you to return to deep interior dialogue with our Lord. First of all, in order to fill yourself up as mom to put a stake in the ground around that 20 minutes of silence, that 20 minutes of listening to his voice and learning and attuning your ear to his word, using your journal and just claiming that space as an important and most sacred encounter so that you have his life speaking through you. Ultimately, that's the goal is that our words and our thinking would be more and more like his. So we take captive our thoughts, as scripture says. And then we translate that to our children. In, in no small way do I, I invite you to become the, the wholeness coaches, the life coaches of your children. Uh, this is the work that I love doing. It's the work that I'm about with so many moms and women throughout the country. And in turn, I find the fruit of it when I sit down heart to heart with my children and have those beautiful discussions and peel back what is happening, what's going on in the corners of their mind. So I invite you to, first of all, prioritize your own time of prayer and reflection and thinking, (laughs) and in turn, spending and setting aside quality time for that with your children. They're never too young to begin pondering And they're never too young to have good, wholesome questions posed to them for them to reflect on. I'll never forget what Andrew Pudua says. He says, asking questions is what it means to think. And so I challenge you as you move into the summer and perhaps away from a, uh, you know, a particular curriculum or structured time of schooling to let your children know that school always is happening because we love, we love learning life, as my mom would say. And so the summer is a perfect moment to enrich your, your growth at the level of prayer and at the level of deep thinking. You'll be amazed at what original inspirations, amazing creative thoughts will come pulsing through your own mind and through the minds of your children if given the opportunity. So in closing, thank you so much for journeying this walk, this trying walk of bringing your dreams into reality. And we do that in a very conscientious way in union with Christ in prayer. 
your children will flourish. I think recently of an encounter I had with my young son who's endured some pretty major trauma after an injury to his mouth. And, um, he's had to, he's had to offer up a lot. And at 11 years old, I have come to recognize that our children have such an extraordinary capacity for, for deep thinking. So let's not shortchange them, but invite them into that dialogue, that interior dialogue between the Lord and themselves, and even the dialogue that takes place between ourselves within our own thinking and be seekers of truth. Because so often what we end up thinking about isn't true and we are seekers of truth. So challenge your thoughts, seek the truth and spend time in prayer. I'm Chantal Howard. You can find me at Chantal-Howard.com or online at Faithful Oil Mom or uh, Aroma Rosary. There's a number of places you'll find me in this space of helping to coach men and women and families to wholeness. And I look forward to encountering you there. Thanks again and stay tuned for next year as we venture in again into this wonderful space, the space from ideal to real. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.